there. My name is Sean, and this is Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story, and the people that craft and tell them why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, and also to help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories. Personal stories. Grit stories. Today's episode, episode number 97, is actually part two. Last week, we shared a couple of stories that were originally told this summer. The event was called Suicide Noted, Personal Stories from Badass Survivors. As some of you might know, I have another podcast called Suicide Noted, where I have been speaking candidly with suicide attempt survivors since July of 2020. We're now on episode number 132. I will put a link in the show notes if you'd like to check that out. While those are longer kinds of stories, more like conversations, today's episode has two stories that are stories. Beginning, middle, end stories, contained stories, the classic personal narrative kind of story. And oh, by the way, we do have another event coming up Sunday, November 5th. It's called the Mental Health Happyish Hour. It's a virtual open mic. So if you like story, you want to listen to some stories, or maybe tell one yourself, check it out. I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. You can also tune in to episode 98 and 99 on this podcast if you'd like to hear stories around September 11th. And stay tuned for season seven of the 99 Second Story Slam. That will be coming up quite soon, as well as another Suicide Noted storytelling event, likely in December. Back to this episode, we've got two stories by three storytellers. It will make more sense in just a little bit. Our first storyteller is Anne Vandy Perky. Our second and third storytellers are Chandra Lahiri and Jay Carroll. And so what I'd like to do now is play you part of the introduction to that actual live virtual event. So let's dive in. We started Grit right after the lockdown, sort of masterminds or swap shops, groups that meet together, had a lot of events. And a lot of you have been there. We had the Mental Health Happyish Hour, which is an open mic, 99 Second Story Slam. We did something for a while called 7 by 7 which is kind of like tonight's. It was curated, but this is a more specific theme, that of suicide or suicide attempt survivors. About the same time, I launched a Suicide Noted podcast where I interview or speak with suicide attempt survivors. Some of them are here. Some of them, you'll be hearing their stories this evening. And I was just trying to make those worlds come closer and closer over time. So this is actually the first real thing that is that directly associated with those two worlds, a personal narrative story and suicide. So I am thrilled that you're a part of that. I also welcome your feedback. I don't know. My whole jam with all this is for people to feel less shitty and less alone. So if we're doing that, we're doing something right. I do have to give special thanks. And I think this is the first time I've ever had to give this kind of special thanks. Normally, I'm thanking the tellers. I'm thanking the audience. Now I actually have to thank or, or choose to thank organizations who have helped fund this event some. I've, I've gone big time, people. We've made it. So those people are NAMI NC, our National Alliance of Mental Illness. Some of you probably know them. Uh, the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services and the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Really appreciate your support. We appreciate your support. Our first storyteller, badass survivor slash bold storyteller. She lives in the greater Chicago area. I've known her for a couple of years. I even met her last year up in Chi-Town, the Windy That is the Windy City, but it's not because it's windy. All right, we don't need to get into that. She has an interesting life with her husband and her daughter, and she's got a lovely black lab. Let us bring to the Suicide Noted stage Anne Vandy Perky. 
I never truly wanted to die until that day. True, I'd scratched myself raw with a post of an earring. I had taken so many pills and been pumped full of charcoal again and again, made to wretch in an ER in a suburban hospital with a platinum blonde resident hovering over me asking, are you done with this? There's so much more. I had a devil darkness, acute depression so thick, I didn't care about nada, coupled with a severe drinking problem. But that day was different. I had made a firm decision. Sitting in a cheerful yellow room with slogans on the wall, easy does it, keep it simple. In a posh rehab with 200 thread count per kale sheets, I decided to really kill myself. A plump nurse bearing a tray of asparagus soup and a veggie burger with Dijon mustard and pickles appeared at my door. Knock, knock. Here's your dinner. Easy does it. I ate the burger. I made my bed. I put on red lipstick and a Rolling Stones t-shirt. And I pranced out of my room and knocked on another patient's door named Ruthie. Ruthie, would you mind if I borrowed your blow dryer? Mine's on the fritz. No problem, Anne. I took the blow dryer back to my room. It was maroon. Cute. I had taken a red bucket from the maintenance closet that morning. I had all my tools. I did not think of my parents or my siblings. I did not think that this would ruin the treatment center. Acute depression is that selfish. I didn't believe in going to heaven. I just knew the whole fucking thing would be over. I filled up the red bucket with water. I fired up the blow dryer like a turbo Mustang, and with one huge movement, I plunged the blow dryer into the bucket, like diving into a brackish pool of emptiness that was my sickness. There was another slogan across from me as I plunged the blow dryer, let go and let God. Little jolts of electricity started pinging into my hand. Ping, ping. I waited for the explosion. Nothing happened except the ping. Death wasn't there. God damn it, I yelled at the top of my lungs. Just then the lights blacked out. I was in sheer darkness. I could hear the other patients coming out of their rooms and swearing and saying, what the hell's going on? I sat there in the dark, consumed by anger. This was supposed to work. I heard it worked. This was supposed to be foolproof. Fuck. A bit of time passed where I lay in my bed, rigid with rage. There was a knock on my door. I fucking opened it. There was a bent over maintenance man with a giant ring of keys and a name tag that said Dirk. There's been a blackout on the unit. It appears it started in your room. My room? Yes. Ruthie appeared behind the maintenance man. Anne, mind if I have my blow dryer back? No prob. Now here's where I have a memory blank. I don't remember if Ruthie's blow dryer was ruined. I don't remember what I did with the bucket. I don't remember what the maintenance man did to get the lights back on. I do know for certain no one thought anything about a suicide attempt. I was soon herded into the common room with the other patients by some ecstatic, frosty, blonde counselor who was probably yelling the slogan, easy does it. After that, I remained in my room as much as possible. The staff left me alone because I was always crying. I barely made it to the recovery meeting with goofy people spewing garbage while we were force-fed stale coffee, but I did take the medication they gave me.
reluctantly. I had because I was hopeless. I don't remember how long it took, but one day the pills kicked in. To say it was dramatic is an understatement. It was like walking into a sunlit room. Nothing had changed, but everything had changed. I did not want to die. The death rattle was gone. I started to really participate in the program of recovery at the Posh Treatment Center with 200 thread count per kale sheets and exquisite veggie burgers. And I left that place and embraced life. I really did. And today I know that I never believed in God or going to heaven, but I know it was grace that saved me. How you feeling? Good. Good. Is that your only attempt? No. That was the most serious one, though. That was truly wanting to die. The other ones, I think, were truly asking for help. Right. But this was truly the, the final thing. What is one myth around ideating or attempting or all things suicide, so to speak, that you think is total bullshit? Okay. I, and I said this in my performance and it's one thing I don't wish, I wished I hadn't said. I think when you're that depressed, you're not selfish. Okay. Claim it as selfishness. Mm -hmm. Pain is so unbelievable. You do just want to end it for those who take it seriously, that it's not a cry for help. I judge that I put that in there precisely because I don't think it's selfishness really. You, you wish you hadn't put it in this story? Maybe. It isn't selfishness. I, and I'd like to hear from other people who've done that. I will tell you that of all the myths that I've heard, and that's how I tend to frame it on the podcast, and we've had probably, what, about 140 conversations now. That's by far number one. I mean, people are mad. Yes. Commit suicide. They're mad. They turn to themselves you know, and say, selfishness. Or they say, what, what could we have looked for yeah. that this was going to happen? So there's, there's extreme sadness and complete anger. It tends to be extremes, right? I think that. For this event, we invited our audience to send questions or comments. And this comment is one that Ant wanted to share with all of us. I love the way you painted a picture of the place you were in with the side-by-side of the counselor's tones and phrases and slogans. Paired with your inner monologue thoughts. Thank you. I concur. Thank you again, Vandy. I always love your stories, particularly on this topic. Our next storytellers, you heard that correctly. You must be wondering, wait a second. Two people are going to tell one story and my answer is kind of. Kind of they are because they're going to do. We've played with the name of this and some of you are familiar with it, but it's a, it's a form of a braided story. I'm going to save the fancy introductions. I'm going to spotlight storyteller number one who lives up in Massachusetts. She has a lovely family. We also met. I just share this because it was a kick to meet so many people on Zoom and then get to actually meet some of them uh, earlier late last year. She's super involved in all things storytelling and she's storyteller number one. Her name is Chandre Lahiri. Storyteller number two, side by side. She is not in Waltham. She is out in San Diego, California. 
Nobody from California would say what I just said. I know. Uh, also very involved in storytelling and other things related to writing and and stage stuff. And also a mom and also a really sweet person. I haven't met her a person yet, but hopefully I will very soon. Uh, her name is Jay Carroll. So uh, Chandra and Jay, take it away. I'm rushing, like always, to make daycare. Beyond this lies a deep, dark abyss of sleep-deprived new parenthood. Today was awful, but so was yesterday and the day before. It feels endless, it feels bottomless, and it feels hopeless. But I start my car and I gun the engine, trying to beat time, while knowing full well that I'm the one that's beaten. I peel out of the parking lot and I hang a left, mainly from memory because my vision is blurry from tears. I drop off my project to the client with no time to spare. I am on my way from San Diego to Phoenix for Christmas. And when I get back in my car, as soon as my project leaves my hands, extreme relief sets in. And so does extreme exhaustion. But I'm determined not to let my terrible decision to procrastinate this work ruin my vacation. Every holiday that I spend with my grandparents could be my last um, because they're both in their 80s. So I shake myself awake, turn the key, and start to drive. I shake my head to snap out of it. And my eyes travel up to the traffic light just up ahead. It's green, so I accelerate, trying to make it through. But with just about a block left to go, it turns red. And that triggers this jumble of thoughts in my head. Questions. Is my husband in town? Yes, yes, he's not traveling for work this week. Does daycare know his number so they can call him to pick up the baby? Yeah, they've got his number. They'll call him. Does anyone really need my broken, useless self around? No, no, they really don't. I get on the 8 freeway. Great, there's holiday traffic. The last six weeks have been like one long downward spiral. My ex is dating one, no, two of my friends. And my doctor tells me that I have to set a follow-up appointment, but how much is that going to cost without insurance? I have been working 80-hour weeks now for how many weeks? When was the last time that I slept more than three hours or ate real food? I can't even think. I just feel doomed. I'm almost at the light. I wonder if the chicken that I pulled out of the freezer that morning has thawed already. I'm going to try a new recipe for chicken marsala for dinner tonight. I think I might know how to debug that Python script at work and to finally make it run. It's going to make a really big difference. Today is the day that I'm supposed to be gluing little rhinestones onto the toy car that I'm crafting for my little son and... He's going to be really excited when I give it to him. Up ahead are the rocky cliffs, and I see a sign warning of high winds. I start to nod off on the freeway, but 
jerk myself awake, instinctively, I check the rearview mirror and I see all the loose Christmas presents in my back seat. The hardback uh, Hillary Clinton book I got for my mom, the overpriced Cutco knife set for my sister and brother-in-law, my new boots. This year, even more than usual, I, I stressed out trying to find time for gifts. Oh, which I did not even wrap. I will have to do that at my mom and dad's. <sighs> will grandpa be lucid this time? And what about grandma? I, I haven't seen her since she started getting dementia. My eyes catch on the dashboard and all I can think is how badly it needs to be dusted. My nostrils flood with the acrid odor of stale coffee. The traffic light ahead is still red. My head snaps up and I realize I fell asleep again. Instead of pulling over, I chug some more coffee. It doesn't help. I still feel very woozy, but I just don't care anymore. I squeeze my eyes shut. I turn up the music. I step on the gas. And I step on the gas. It's two stories and it's one story and there's no need to label it anything other than that. How does that feel to tell that? Because I I know if I can share that you haven't, well, you've told those a version of that in individual stories before, but I don't think it's something that you've done a lot. I don't think a lot of the world knows. Am I right? Yeah. I don't know if it makes a difference. Does that feel weird or? I feel good. Something that, that we had talked about was just that we have shared our stories. Each of us have shared that story before and doing it in this format was very different and very zoomed into a very specific moment of our stories. It's been really interesting for both of us to work together on this. And uh, Sean and Joanne, who was helping us achieve this incredible new to both of us style of storytelling, it was so revealing because they asked us a really interesting question. They asked us, what's at the heart of your story? And it was so bizarre that both of our stories were about the same specific thing about how impulsive our decision was. Mm. So we had to develop this hyper focus on that part of the story. So those of you who've heard our full stories, this is just like maybe one tenth of it. But for me, it was very liberating to just not talk about the before, not talk about the after, but just stay in those few seconds in which both of us made these crazy, crazy decisions. That is the core of what we want people to know about our experience. That very well. Yeah, I think it's important. And it's one of my goals with this, I call it a project, project, I don't know if that's the right word. It's like, there's different stories around suicide or suicide attempt. It's, there's many stories. And I think it's interesting to explore them. And some of them that are the ones we tend to hear are equally valuable, but I think it's not the complete picture. So for me, the conversations and particularly these kinds of stories are what I I like to use as the vehicle. So you only had that one moment, the attempt that both for you took place in a car. In that time since, have you come close to stepping on the literal or proverbial gas since? I'm sorry if this causes pain to any of my friends in the audience, but yeah, I have. 
think it's so interesting. Sean shared the story that he did, that it is the space in between trying and not trying. But one of the things is, I think the most important thing that happened with this one attempt that I made, it showed me how impulsive it can be, how spur of the moment it can be. Mm-hmm. And even though I know that it could happen again, because how do I know? I hadn't planned that one. How do I know I won't, it won't happen again? But I do know that it's made me incredibly self-aware about of it. And when I find myself crawling or rolling to the edge of that deep, dark abyss that I had described before, beyond which I now know I can do something really stupid in a fraction of a second, I will say I've caught myself because I'm hyper-aware. Because I know now I'm not looking for myself sobbing into my pillow and saying, oh my God, I can't take it anymore. Apparently, that's not the way it works in my head. Apparently, everything is fine and I'm making plans to cook a nice dinner and I decide to run the light. To the question that you were asked, Sean, I think it's less likely it's going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. I think the possibility exists, but I'm so aware of it now. I really hope that I'm not going to come this close ever again. Who knows? Who knows? Jade? Yes. No, I have not had any type of experience like this since then. This was a very powerful experience for me. And um, since then, I've developed a lot of tools and support system. And so I I also think I'm hyper aware now, like I don't push myself to the, the brink like that anymore. And yeah, my life feels very, very different from what it was then. Sean, may I take a question that came before from Sharon? Sure, of course. For both of us. She said, so what happened? What happened in that moment? And I know that it was a really big challenge for us to write this story and take that few seconds and stretch it out. And you really guided us so well to say, let it hang there. And I like to speak to what happened to me. And I think that's the way we structured both of our stories is that pain just gets really intense and hard to resist. But for me specifically, because we drew out those seconds, we gave you a peek into how it's all happening in a fraction of a second. But when you feel like it would be easier for darkness to roll down than to go on another minute feeling like this, um, I think I feel like we're hardwired to survive. Our, Our primal instincts are to live. And for me, I definitely know that anytime I take one point of view, I think about I think about the opposing side. So in our stories, I was I had all these I, I went my head went through all these reasons why I should end my life, and right on the heels of it came everything that was going on in my life. Right, that chicken marsala, how I was going to finally crack some you know fix some code at work, my little son, and the joys that I got from him. And so that's what happened in that moment is the pros and the cons balanced, like fought, warred against each other in our head. We all have these loud voices in our head, you know, the devil and the angel sitting on either shoulder. And I think what happened for me in that moment is it wasn't enough. I guess that the pain was heavier, which is why I did what I did. And I'm Mm -hmm. ever so grateful that I came out of it okay. But I think that's what happened in the moment. And I, I think maybe that happens to most people is in a fraction of a second, you, your brain works faster than, you're, than you realize. What do you think, Jay? I was asked what, what ended up happening. My experience was very reckless. 
feel judged sometimes. I've had people tell me like, oh, that that wasn't an attempt. Like, why would you be telling this story? I, I was tired and I was driving, but there was a lot more to it. And yeah. um, I, I think it's important if someone identifies themselves as an attempt survivor, then just, you know, be- believe, go with that, believe them. Sure. Um, That's a better starting point. I don't think it's very helpful to, you know, right. judge someone um, right. for that. Uh, but in my story, I did, I did end up having, I fell asleep and um, I did have a car crash and it was um, very dramatic car crash. And I had a near death experience. That is what helped me get to the point where I am today. Like it was, you know, a literal near death experience, saw the light, very weird. Yeah, this was this was a really important experience in my life. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate that I felt so hopeless and reckless at the time. But I would like to say that I would not make a decision like that in the future and that mm. um, my life was saved for a reason. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to our storytellers, Anne Vandy Perky, Chandra Lahiri, and Jay Carroll. Thank you all for crafting them and telling them. I really appreciate it. Check the show notes for upcoming events, a link to the Suicide Noted podcast, and maybe some other cool stuff. You'll find it again in the show notes. If you have a moment and you listen on Apple, help us out by rating and reviewing the podcast. And that is all for episode number 97. Boom.